the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, April 22nd. The lesson of the day from Wednesday's matches across the ATP and WTA tours, power tennis. Does it work on clay? It appears that answer is yes, as Petra Kvitova, Marta Kostyuk, Felix Ogier, Aliasim, and so many power-centric players found themselves in the winner's circle in Wednesday's matches. That's going to be the theme of today's podcast. I want to talk about Wednesday's winners at the ATP and WTA level in case this is your first mini-break podcast you're tuning into this week. We've got four events happening across the globe for the 500-level events. The women are in Stuttgart. The men are in Barcelona for the 250-level events. The women in Istanbul. The men in Belgrade, Serbia. That is going to be the focus of today's podcast, but rest assured, if you want to hear some ATP Challenger coverage, David Gertler, our Cracked Rackets contributor, join me on today's Great Shot podcast to break down the action happening in North America, the Tallahassee Challenger on green clay, delivering a fantastic few for, uh, first few days of results, of course. We also touch on a couple of other things. I'm not going to talk in too much depth about Francis Tiafo versus Diego Schwartzman on today's podcast. I should say I'm not going to dive into the stats of Francis Tiafo because David and I did that on the Great Shot podcast. I do want to talk about that match a little bit because obviously it was one of the head uh, headlines, I should say, matches of Wednesday's results. But again, for some challenger-centric content, tune on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, if you want to hear from some of the winners in Stuttgart, I had the chance to ask questions to Annette Conteve, Ashley Barty, Petra Kvitova in their post-match press conferences. You want to hear their answers to my questions. Tune on over to our Cracked Interviews podcast feed where you can hear Wednesdays from the presser segment. Of course, with all of that in mind, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here on the Mini Break podcast recap all the action that is happening across the globe is because of the support we get from all of you listeners who continue to tune in day in day out we are so grateful for that we are so grateful for our Crack Rackets Patreon family, who, of course, were the reason we were able to update our equipment here this week at Crack Rackets headquarters. And then, of course, the reason we were able to do this mini-break podcast in particular day in, day out, is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. I say it all the time, but seriously... When you play outdoors, maybe you want to string your rackets a pound or two tighter. Maybe you, like me, have shoes with broken soles, and you're just like, you know what, that's fine for indoor biking, but when I'm playing an outdoor tennis match, the second I move to the outer third of the court, my shoe's going to rip in half, and it's time for me to upgrade All of you can find the best equipment at the best prices by turning to our friends at Midwest Sports. Use the promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. One last thing to squeeze in here at the top of today's podcast, and then I promise we're getting into our WTA and ATP action from Wednesday. We are really excited here at Cracked Rackets to be able to host a Level 1 USTA national event in Indianapolis. As I mentioned on yesterday's podcast, the GOAT. 
Colette Lewis is going to be coming down for the event, so really excited to finally get to meet her in person. I actually met her when I was a lot younger, but at that point, she would have had no idea who I was. Now that we've done a couple of podcasts together, I like to think she'll be like, oh yeah, you are the Alex Gruskin I have seen on Zoom and talked to a bunch of times, so very excited for that. Very excited to see some of the best junior players in the country all in one location competing for a gold ball, and of course, we're going to cover that event because that's what we do here at Cracked Rackets. Try and make it that much more fun for all of the people participating. Try and uh, allow you in our Cracked Rackets community to learn how high a quality a level of play is right now in the U.S. junior circuit. If for some reason, I think signups for that have passed, and obviously a level one junior event, there are qualifications. You have to be ranked X amount to get into the event, but if you are intrigued and want to learn more, you can go to our website, crackrackets.com, to do so. We've got some goodies planned. I should say some goodie bags, some things, some giveaways. That's the more appropriate. Goodie bag is what you call a five-year-old party giveaway. We have some gift bags. That's the adult version for some of these players, so uh, excited again to have them here uh, at a Cracked Rackets Level 1 event. Look forward to telling all of you listeners more about that as it unfolds. I believe the start date is May 1st. I may be a little bit off on that. I know it's at the beginning of May, so again, very excited for that coming up. Westoff, give me that excited sound effect, certainly. If I'm excited, you should all be excited as well. Let's get excited for some Level 1 Junior action. Let's also get excited for this week's WTA and ATP Tour action, and with that in mind, let's start by recapping the action we saw in Stuttgart. Very, very rare that we get to see an indoor clay court event. That's what this action in Stuttgart is, and that was actually the theme of my questions to Conteve and Barty, what are, and honestly to Kavitova, what are, how different are these conditions to the typical clay court matches they are playing? How are their games suited to these conditions? But as I mentioned at the top, power tennis much more effective on these indoor hard courts in Stuttgart, which are playing like borderline clay courts. And the results as such have seen power tennis players have success. And let's start with Petra Kvitova, who we talked about yesterday, given uh, how impressive Kvitova was in her 4-3 first round match against Jennifer Brady. Well, the draw didn't get any easier for Petra Kvitova on Wednesday as she faced off against, what was it, Miami semifinalist Abu Dhabi at the beginning of the year finalist player who I have talked about at length here on the Mini Break Podcast, and I think converted Tennis Abstract's Jeff Sackman into a fan as well. Maria Sakari, who may not have the best clay court record uh, coming into this match in the past 52 weeks. She was 2-2 two and two in her four clay court matches in 2020, but you look for Sakari in her, in her career. She was 15-5 and five, uh, in WTA-level clay court matches back in 2019 for her career 40-31. and 31. That's a 56% win percentage, but she's gotten better and better again over these past few seasons. Uh, look, she just presents such a physical challenge. She's going to put so many balls in the court. She's going to, you know, play high percentage tennis as well, keep balls in the center of the court, and that's what she did today against Kvitova. Didn't let, you know, Kvitova find easy angles, easy, you know, uh, shots in the outer third of the court to open up the court and take control of the rally, but it didn't matter because when Petra Kvitova plays her best tennis, she's going to hit 
it doesn't matter who the opponent is, she's going to hit her opponent off the court. And you look for Petra Kvitova, and I mentioned this yesterday, was so surprised to learn that Kvitova is number four right now on Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings uh, regarding clay court players. Again, I say this every podcast, the ELO rating, and I hit the under this time by mentioning ELO ratings before 10 minutes for those of you keeping track at home. But ELO rating, measuring who you play, not the win or the where. Kvitova is number four via clay court results on Tennis Abstract's ELO rating system. That makes sense when you consider the fact that Petra Kvitova, let's just look at her results uh, since the 2018 season on clay. For Kvitova, you look in particular 2018, she goes 13-3, and she wins Prague, she wins Madrid, ends up losing a 6-6 six and six match in the third round to Annette Conteve, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, folks, but she follows that up in 2019, 8-2, wins in Stuttgart, quarterfinals Madrid, uh, ends up losing to Sakari, retiring with an injury in Rome and doesn't play the French Open last year, 5-1. and one. Semifinals at the French Open, her only clay court event. You add uh, those three seasons up. She's 26-6 and six in clay court matches since 2018. And of course, when you think Petra Kvitova, you think her two Wimbledon titles. You think Australian Open finalists. You think the majority of her, her uh, WTA level titles have come on hard courts. But maybe we should start thinking about her as a clay court specialist as well. I mean, simply put, her power tennis transcends the surface. And I've talked about this all throughout these early portions of the clay court season. When you can get your opponent playing on their back foot, when you have them thinking, point in, point out, oh no, where she's going to go next. Oh no, I, it's hard for me to read and react because I'm on my back foot so frequently and I'm just trying to recover back to the center to get the point to neutral. You're automatically at a deficit entering the rally and Petra Kvitova obviously executes power tennis at a level maybe two, three players in the women's game can match. She is certainly a property holder in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club, which it's been upgraded to a country club, to those of you who heard my podcast with Tennis Abstracts, Jeff Sackman. But I mean, today for Petra Kvitova, you look at the numbers in this match. She made 73% of her first serves. That's been a theme for her just in general of late. She's 19-8 and eight overall in her last 52, has been making 64% of her first serves, but has eclipsed that 70 number, I believe, on seven different occasions in those 27 matches. So, <clears throat> excuse me, about a quarter of the time, she's making over 70% of her first serves today. And that first strike tennis, she won 61% of her first serve points, 57% of her second serve points, saved uh, 13 of the 16 break points she faced. And she was just so effective at playing first strike tennis on both her serve and her return points. And you look for Maria Sakari, who did a really good job of trying to minimize the opportunities Kvitova had to play strike first tennis with her return of serve. Sakari made 71% of her first serves, but it didn't matter because you know, on a clay court, it does neutralize the serve by that much. And you give Petra Kvitova that extra half second, she gets a clean look, a clean rip at the ball. She must have hit like 15 down-the-line return winners or, you know, 15 to 20 unreturnable returns that just automatically earned her points on both the Sakari first and second serves. And then, you know, I mentioned this yesterday, 
her ability on the ad side to hit the slice serve out wide and then just hit that first forehand into the open court. She's winning that point 95% of the time because even when Sakari was able to track down that ball, and credit to Maria Sakari, who made this match as physical as possible— it didn't matter because Kvitova continued to have answers. The case in point was that 0-1 game Sakari serving Love One, excuse me, in the third set. It was an 11-deuce game. Uh, Sakari ended up holding. I think she fought off like five or six break points in that game. Uh, and yet it didn't matter because Kvitova didn't get flustered. She went to her towel. She dried herself off. And she held at 15 with three big first serves and a forehand winner. And it's like that gets the job, or an unreturnable forehand, and that gets the job done. And it's just, again, Petra Kvitova is on her front foot. She probably, in that 11-deuce game, she probably missed four of her five returns on her break points, but it's because she was swinging and playing to execute. She there's no she doesn't waste time playing defensive tennis. She knows, look, I mean, she has gotten better as a mover, and in her press conference, she said she was even surprised by how comfortable she felt sliding out there, um, but... You know, it's just she, she she executes her game style, and when even when Sakari, who did a really good job of keeping balls deep and in the center of the court to not open up space for Kvitova to just easily attack, it didn't matter because Kvitova was able to get her forehand response either deep into the center of court, of the court to draw a short ball or still into the outer thirds, and she opened up the court for herself and just her ability to go cross-cross line, her ability today to take her backhand on the rise, cross-court short angle, and you know to mix in some drop shots as well just to keep Sakari off balance. She was she was exceptional today, and again, all of the credit in the world to Maria Sakari, who did hold in that 11-deuce game, who kept fighting back, went down a break uh, early in that third set, was able to get the break back, well, you know, was up. Uh, a break, I believe, four two in the th- in the second set was broken four three four breaks. Kvitova uh, right back four five three holds for six three gets the match to a third. This was two and a half hours in a best of three match. Just high quality tennis across the board. Now there were some streaks of errors. There were some streaks certainly of tentativeness uh, from Sakari. And again, what what limits her ceiling? She doesn't have the natural weapon as good as she gets as you know she continues to develop uh, and becomes a better and better athlete. And as such, she does increase the pace of her ball with every passing match, but she still doesn't have the natural pop of a Petra Kvitova who when she con- connects cleanly with a forehand or a backhand, it's a winner. And for Sakari, you know, all, most of the time it's a winner. But her rally ball just doesn't have the pace of Petra Kvitova's, and it's just on on a power hitter like Kvitova's best day. Uh, Sakari will give her a run for her money. Again, Sakari almost won this match, but Kvitova played her best, and in the end, her best was just better than Sakari today. It was a credit to Petra Kvitova, who, as I mentioned, 19-8 and now in her last 52 weeks, but uh, has been, uh, you know, even better on clay, 26-6, and number three, uh, four on uh, tennis abstracts, clay court, ELO rating. She's one of only five women's players to rank in the top 16 in both hold percentage and break percentage uh, over these last 52 weeks of competition. Again, that's tennis abstracts leaderboard. Hold percentage, how frequently you're holding serve. Break percentage, how frequently you're breaking your opponents. Fun fact for you, here's the stat of the day. I'll give you the men when we get to the men's coverage, but here are the five women's players who have been in the top 16 for both in the last 52 weeks. Uh, Petra Kvitova, who ranks 11th in both categories. 
Ashley Barty, fourth in hold percentage, 14th in break percentage. Garbine Muguruza, sixth in hold percentage, eighth in break percentage. By the numbers, she's been the best player in tennis over the last 52 weeks. You've also got Iga Sviantek, who's 15th in hold percentage, but second in break percentage. And then Arena Sabalenka who is the reason we extended this category to top 16, as she's 13th in hold percentage, 16th in break percentage. Again, that's her and Zverev are incredibly similar, and we've made this comparison on the podcast before. They're both players who have the talent, who have proven it at everything but the slams in terms of getting it into the winner's circle. Uh, she's 13th and 16th. Zverev, you look at his numbers, he's 13th and 12th. Uh, but again, You look at the results and the players we've talked about most frequently on this podcast, those five players, Barty, Muguruza, Shviantek, Kvitova, Sabalenka, that feels about right. Kvitova is playing the best tennis of her career right now. Yes, I know she's ranked number 10, but the 31-year-old is absolutely capable when she plays her best tennis of winning any event she enters. She was fantastic this uh, on Wednesday against Sakari. Again, I still think Sakari, depending on her draws, quarterfinals of the French Open, maybe even further, is absolutely in play. But can she win seven in a row? That's the question. Does she have the weapons to do it? Certainly physically, she'd be able to stand the test. And again, she made this match physical. But Petra Kvitova, a little too much pop. She advances to the quarterfinals in Stuttgart. Joining her is Annette Conteve, who knocks off number three seed Sonia Kennan, 7-5-6-4. I know that was a hard transition. I apologize. Conteve, though, nothing to apologize for with her performance today. She was outstanding. In particular, her ability to protect her first serve. Made 66% of her first serves and won 86% of those points. 37 of 43 overall. Now, she was 6 of 22 on second serve points. And when Kennan got clean looks at returns, was able to hit that first strike, uh, she took early control of those points. And it was a credit to Kennan who really needed those clean looks on second serves to dig her feet in the rally. Because Annette Conteve is just such a well-rounded player. Does everything well. Moves the ball around well with her forehand. Down the line, cross court, short angle, elevated over the net. Depth, flat. Just does it well. Is it overwhelming power? No, but it's, she can do a little bit of everything. Ditto on the backhand wing. And with her first serve, her ability to hit the slice out wide, her ability to hit the tee on the ad side, her ability to just hit all the spots and use the serve to set up her first strike, it was the reason she won this match so comfortably. And you look for Annette Conteve, she uh, you know, saved three of the five break points she faced. Kennan faced 16 break points, now was able to save 12 of them, but... Conteve just kept coming in, you know, for Sophia Kennan, she won, Sonia won 53% of her first serves, 55% of her second serves, but Conteve was in every point. It was so difficult for Kennan to make anything easy for herself, and that's the question for Sonia Kennan moving forward, because she's got all the tools, right, and physically, she can win any singular match, but to do that 30 weeks a year, tournament in, tournament out, to sustain that sort of level of physicality for five consecutive seasons, that's an, almost an impossible thing to ask of any player. You think about it for Kennan in terms of just consistency, it would have to be Simona Halep-esque, you know, uh, in between Halep and Svitolina is probably where Kennan's ceiling lies as a player, um, but... 
you know, again, Conteve took it to her today. All of the credit in the world belongs to Conteve, who you look now in her last 52 weeks. I mean, I've talked about her before, that Sakari, Conteve, Sabalenka, Mertens group. I feel like I was on them since the tour restarted, and they have delivered the goods 24-11 and 11 for Annette Conteve in her last 52 weeks. The 25-year-old now into the quarterfinals here in Stuttgart, I believe. Let's look across the board. That is her fifth quarterfinal in these 11, uh, 12 events, I should say, she's played in her last 52 weeks. You look for Conteve in her career. She's made five WTA-level finals. Her one title came on a grass court, but three of her finals have come now on clay. And you look at her career percentages. She's won 57% of her matches on uh, hard courts at the WTA level, 65% on clay, both of those sample sizes exceeding 70 total matches. Why is that the case? It's because she's essentially the same player on both hard courts and clay courts. You look at her numbers, her first serve percentage is within 0.6 percentage points, so it's not a fluky statistical uh, you know, outlier. The, the first serve is relatively similar, and so you look at clay, she wins 66.4% of her first serve points compared to 649 on hard courts. She wins about 0.3% more of her second point, uh, serve points on clay, wins about 0.2 more <clears throat> Excuse me, of her return points on clay, the big thing for her, she's again, her game is equally effective. Her ability to move the ball around the court, her ability to put a ton of returns in the court, her ability to just do a little bit of everything. Uh, it applies on both hard courts and clay courts. She's a particularly good mover on clay courts as well. Can slide into her shots, can uh, you know mix up her spins, can mix up her pace as well. It makes sense, and for so many people, they're either comfortable on hard courts or, or they're comfortable on clay. It's not a binary thing for uh, for Conteve. She's just a damn good tennis player. Look, for Sonia Kennan, 16-11 and 11 since the tour restarted in August, a 7-7 seven and seven here in 2021. She made quarterfinals in her first two events, Abu Dhabi and the Australian Open warm-up. Since then, she's, I believe, 2-4 and four. In her last six matches, has lost three in a row. Three sets to Jabour, three sets to Davis in Charleston. Now the straight set match to Conteve. But, you know, again, she was injured. She had surgery in between the Australian Open and the restart of everything in Miami. And the restart, I should say, of her season in Miami. She's still finding her form. This was a really high-level match. It was just Conteve's, you know on her game right now and I always I also said yesterday this was a good matchup for Conteve because Kennan doesn't have the big weapon to hurt her Conteve is also a well-rounded enough athlete that she's going to be able to take away some of the things that Kennan does she's going to be able to you know show the discipline the patience to track down the Kennan drop shots the Kennan slices give those slices back to Kennan with pace and by changing the direction keeping Kennan on the run as well uh, it was just a really high-level match from Annette Conteve. This result told me more about her, how locked in she is right now, than it did uh, about Sonia Kennan. But certainly, you know, you look for Kennan, French Open finalist last year. Will she be able to replicate that in 2021? I would like to see, you know, certainly a quarterfinal, semifinal run from her in one of these clay court warm-up events and I think she's capable of it as well because I actually thought she played much better today than she did in Charleston still credit to Conteve who advances now to the quarterfinals here in Stuttgart those are my two big breakdowns 
from the action in Stuttgart. We did have a couple of other, I would say, noticeable and worth discussing results across the board. Marketa von Druthova, the 2019 French Open finalist, 6176 over Marie Buzkova. You look for Von Drusova now. She struggled uh, early in the 2020 season, and it took her a little bit of a time to find her rhythm here uh, in 2021. But, you know, she's still the number 12, or excuse me, yeah, number 12 ranked player on Tennis Abstract's ELO rating. She's 15 and 10 in her last 52. But you look for her since Rome, where she made the semifinals, lost to Pliskova. Her first round loss at Roland Garros seems a lot better when you realize it was to eventually champion Iga Sviantek. You know, she lost first round 7-6 in the third to Suwesi to start the year in Abu Dhabi. Since then, semifinals of the Yarra Valley Classic lost to Muguruza. Round of 16 in the Australian Open, which you don't love, but lost to Suwesi. Second round, Dubai, 6-4 in the third, lost to Coco Goff. Round of 16 in Miami, she lost to Sabalenka. She's beating all the people she's supposed to beat right now, except for maybe Sue C, who seems to have Andrusova's number, uh, which you can just understand. That's a matchup thing. That happens in tennis. But, you know, the 21-year-old has found her form. She's currently ranked 20 in the world. You look for her in her career. Obviously, the big standout was the French Open final. But, you know, she's 34-14. and 14. In the 48 career matches she's played on clay courts, that's uh, at the WTA level. That's uh, obviously exceptional, and you look for her in her career in those 14 events. She's made the quarterfinal in, or further in five of them. Uh, yeah, it makes sense that she, you know, Buskova didn't have the weapon to hurt her, and Vondrusova on the clay, she's just going to move you around the court, and she is such a proficient mover, and so disciplined, uh, Buzkova just didn't have the weapon to hurt her. So again, you're going to have to play really well to beat Marketa Vandrusova right now on the dirt. She advances in straight sets over Marie Buzkova. Your other straight winners on the day, Ash, straight set winners, excuse me, on the day, Ashley Barty, 6-love, 7-5 over Siegelman. Siegelman was going for her shots in that second set, but Barty, there is this one forehand down the line winner where Siegelman was uh, cheating over, and she cheated over really early to try and take a big rip at the forehand, and Barty saw it like 10 seconds in advance, and she's like, are you kidding me with this look on her face and just ripped the winner down the line, and yeah, you know, Siegelman went up an early break in the second set, but Barty clearly finding her rhythm. I thought she looked even, you know, I thought she looked good for her first match on the red clay. Angelique Kerber, Yelena Ostapenko both looked good. Kerber 2 and 2 over Gorgadze, Ostapenko 4 and 5 over Vogel and then Carolina Pliskova. She's going to Carolina Pliskova. 7-5-3-6-6-3 over Korpach. Look, I don't I don't even know what to make of this match. Indoor clay courts, you'd think that'd be great for Pliskova. And in this match, you know, seven aces against eight double faults. She won 69% of her first serve points, only 40% of her second serve points. She was five of nine on breakpoint chances, but, you know, had to fight off 12 breakpoint chances herself. I don't know. She, I don't know. It, it's so interesting right now with Carolina Pliskova. I'm, I'm still not sure exactly how to feel about her moving forward because I see the weapons. I'm very, very intrigued. And yet clearly, you know, again, just from a confidence standpoint, she, it, her confidence is wavering uh, right now. But again, she does earn the victory to advance 
to the, uh, I believe, quarterfinals, or maybe she was round of 16. Some of them were a little offset, so we do have round of 16 matches tomorrow in Stuttgart. A bunch of fun ones on the board. You look at Karolina Pliskova, she's going to take on Yelena Ostapenko. Those two, 3-3 three and three overall in their career, 1-1 one and one on clay. Pliskova did defeat Ostapenko, though, in Stuttgart back in 2018 in three sets. You know, Ostapenko's got the weapons to just, you know, get Pliskova stretched in the outer thirds, just hit the ball by her, because obviously Pliskova's movement will always be the Achilles heel, but man, I that's a fun power tennis matchup. Uh, that should just be an explosive battle. In terms of your other headliners, Von Drusova going to take on Simona Halep. Von is actually 2-0 against Halep. Both of those matches went three sets, though. One of them was on clay. It was Rome 2019. But, you know, Simona Halep has lost once on clay courts in the past 52 weeks, and it was to Iga Swiatek at the uh, 2020 French Open. You look via the Tennis Abstract e- clay court ELO ratings right now. Von Drus- uh, excuse me, Simona Halep, number one. Swiatek, number two. I mentioned Von Drusova, number 12. But that is a potential round of 16 matchup, depending on where they're at in the draws, maybe even quarterfinals at the French Open. So excited to see how Halep responds uh, tomorrow. You've also got Alina Svitolina taking on Angelique Kerber. That's a sneaky, fun rivalry. Svitolina, 8-5 against Kerber. She's won the last six. She's 2-0 on clay. She's, what, 25-11, I believe, since the tour resumed in August. Meanwhile, Kerber has started to find her rhythm of late. She's playing much better tennis than she did last season. That's going to be a fun match. And then your nightcap, Benchich versus Alexandrova. That's like an Alex Gruskin special that was made for me. They're one in one career head-to-head. Haven't played on clay. Haven't played since 2019, but that's some power tennis, folks. So it will be, not should be, it will be an outstanding day of tennis on Thursday in Stuttgart, With that in mind, though, let's talk about our other WTA event in Istanbul, the 250, uh, into, I believe, the second half of the round of 16 now. We saw some round of 16 matches. We saw some round of 32 matches. Let's start with one of the round of 32 affairs. Young Marta Kostyuk, who was one of the breakthrough players to start the season. She made that semifinal run in Abu Dhabi, beat Cerebez Tormo, a win that looks far more impressive in retrospect, 6-4 in the third got wins over Zidanzik and Suisi as well. You know, unfortunately for her, tough draws in her two Australia events. She loses to Jennifer Brady and Veronica Kudermatova. Uh, she then goes to Miami, loses her first round match in three to Parankova, but built some momentum at last week's Billie Jean King Cup playoffs. And then this week, first round win over fellow youngster Rakimova. And then 6-3-7-5 victory for her yesterday in the round of 16 over Daria Kasakina, who of course has already won two WTA titles this year. I don't want to talk too much about, you know, I, I won't dive into the stats for Kaskina. I will say she gave a fantastic interview uh, talking about all sorts of things. That interview has been trans uh, translated. She gave it in Russian. It's been translated to English, and you can find it uh, in various corners of tennis Twitter. I highly recommend it, but... You know what Kostyuk did to Kaskina? She hit her off the court today. This was another power tennis performance. Kostyuk's forehand, oh my goodness, it's a bazooka. It is so impressive, and it's not as spinny as Clara Tossin's. It is more just, it's Belinda Benchichi. 
that sort of power. She just drives that ball through the court and her backhand as well. And Kasekina tried so desperately to park the bus in that ad side backhand corner. It didn't matter because Kostyuk had the power to hit through her there as well. Cross court, cross court to open the down the line. She was comfortable running around the ball to hit big forehand returns, getting after that forehand return was so aggressive. You look at the stats in this match for Kostyuk. You know, she holds Kasatkina to 28 of 55 overall on service points, just over 50% for Kasatkina. Literally, she loses one more point. She's under 50%. Kasatkina, 3 of 14 on second serve points in this match. It was essentially feeding a, you know, drop and hit ground stroke game. You're like, all right, Marta, would you like to hit a winner on this second serve return? Marta's like, I would love to. To hit a winner on this second serve return. That's what she did. Didn't matter if it was the forehand wing, the backhand wing. She also protected her first serve well, made 61% of her first serves, won 63% of those points, saved 9 of the 12 break points she faced. She was just the aggressor. She was the one on her front foot. Now, Kasekina did a great job imposing variety, hitting the big slice serve out wide to open up space with for her plus one ball, incorporating her backhand slice, incorporating drop shots just to keep Kostyuk off balance and elevating heavy topspin, highly, uh, you know, high elevation over the net to just buy herself some time to get things to neutral. But Kostyuk hit through everything Kasekina threw at her. You know, there's a long hold for Kostyuk towards the end of that second set. It looked like Kasekina might roar back after Kostyuk I believe went up to 3-0 in set number one, 4-0 in set number two, but you know, Kostyuk just kept swinging and you know, in this match, again, she was able to uh, save nine of the 12 break points she faced. And you look overall now, she's 26 and 12 in her last 52. And a lot of those include qualifying results, some uh, success for her at the ITF level. She made two 80K finals. Her two losses in those finals were to uh, CC Bellis and Ann Lee, respectfully. Obviously, those are two top 50 or certainly top 70 players, I would say, right now in the world. And so, yeah, Marta Kostyuk's ready. You look for her right now, uh, you know, she is currently ranked number 85, but you look at Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings, Kostyuk, the number 63 player overall. You want to look by yearly ELO rating, Kostyuk, number 67. That's not even far off her ranking, and that feels right. She's certainly a top 100 player on the rise, top 75, I believe. You look at the live WTA rankings right now for players under the age of 19. I'm going to go, uh, yeah, under the age of 19 because I believe she is still 18 years old. Kostyuk, the third highest ranked under 19 player in the world. It goes Coco Goff, number one at 35. Layla Fernandez, number two, 72. Kostyuk's right there with Fernandez. She's number 79. Clara Tossin, number 94. And when you look at Kostyuk's resume, she hasn't won that WTA title yet, right? But she did make that semifinal in Abu Dhabi. And I'm telling you, you watch her for two seconds. The power is so obvious. Look out for the 18-year-old who, in her career, 19-9 in tour-level clay court matches compared to 22-5 in tour-level hard court matches. But just overall, across level, she she is uh, 46 and 20 in her career on clay courts compared to 54 and 27. So, I mean, she's winning like two thirds of her matches regardless, but 
She's that much more effective on clay. She was phenomenal uh, in her win today, uh, and I very much am looking forward to her matchup tomorrow against former world junior number one Anna Konya, who, as expected, 6-1, 6-4 victory over Chung Wang. You look for Konya in this match. She holds Wang to 7 of 26 on second serve points. She wins, I believe, uh, 56% of her return points in this match overall, and just she hit Chung Wang off the court, and you look for Konya, that's what's so special about her when she clicks. Uh, just her weapons and her anticipation and her ability to move the ball around the court, it's special. That's why she was a top 30 player when she was only 19 years old, and you know, she's currently ranked number 241, but certainly uh, we all know as she's healthy, she's going to continue to rise now 23 and 11 in her last 52 weeks and again that matchup with Kostyuk tomorrow must watch match for all of us tennis fans <clears throat> excuse me in Istanbul uh, but those are the two big breakdowns from Istanbul. Your other results on the day, Kaya Kanepi continues to roll 4-4 four four win for her over Zorana Diaz. Uh, Zorana Kirstea, 7-6-6-4 win over Potapova. And then Katerina, uh, excuse me. Yeah, Katarina Sinyakova, 6-4-3-6-6-4 victory over Kiki Mladenovic, a two-and-a-half-hour match that was very, very fun. And I feel like I'm going to get the chance to talk about Sinyakova more tomorrow, the 24-year-old, continuing to play some really good tennis. Just an interesting, again, not even in the Faro camp, not quite Buzkova either. She's just going to be around for a while, and I'm just, I'm intrigued by her game, but so again, a great win for her. Uh, you look at tomorrow's matchups in Istanbul, they are all going to be exciting. Elise Mertens, the number one seed, taking on Veronica Golubic, uh, Veronica Kudermatova versus Kaya Kanepi. Those are two of your hottest players since the tour resumed in August. That is going to be some powerful tennis. Fiona Farrow, number 11 right now on Tennis Abstract's Clay Court ELO rating. Already a win over number two seed Petra Martic. She is going to take on the always dangerous veteran Vera Zivanareva. And then Barbara Krejcikova beginning her campaign against Anna Bogdan. Those are your matches in Istanbul. That is your recap of the action from Wednesday on the WTA Tour. And I have to say, power tennis was the name of the game, but overall fantastic quality of play and setting up to be a really fun week of action on the WTA Tour. Hey Cracked fans, as winter slowly turns into spring and all of us look forward to getting back on the outdoor tennis courts, we here at Crack Rackets want to ensure that you listeners have everything you need to make sure your return to outdoor tennis is a successful one. That's where our friends at Gamma Sports come in. Now, if you need new strings, new grips, new court equipment, ball hoppers, machine tools, and accessories, whatever it may be, our friends at Gamma have it all for you. They've also, of course, got dampeners, over grips, replacement grips. They've got it all. And if you go to their website, gammasports.com slash tennis right now, you use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, I know Gamma has a new string pattern in the queue called the React Pro which all of you Gamma String users will enjoy. And even if you're not using Gamma Strings, maybe now's the time to start. But they've also got polyesters, everything you could be looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint, all in one location. Just go to gammasports.com slash tennis right now. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Again, gammasports.com slash tennis. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. 
Let's talk about Wednesday's action we saw unfold on the ATP Tour. A lot of familiar faces continuing to find success in the men's game. And since I started out with this stat on the women's side, I wanted to do it for the men's as well. Here's the list of the six men who rank in the top 16 in both hold percentage and break percentage right now on the ATP Tour uh, via Tennis Abstract's leaderboard, which again measures the top 50 ranked players on tour. Hold percentage, how frequently you're holding serve. Break percentage, how frequently you're breaking serve. Nadal, Fifth by hold percentage, second by break percentage. Djokovic, 11th by hold percentage, fourth by break percentage. And I have to say that he's now up to 11th in hold percentage as a top, amongst top 50 players. Speaks to the strides he's made as a server throughout his career. You've also got Medvedev, who's the reverse of Djokovic. Fourth by hold, 11th by break percentage. Andre Rublev, ninth and seventh, respectfully. Alex Zverev, 13th and 12th. And then Aslan Karatsev, and it's a little bit it's a little bit suspicious with Karatsev because a lot of those results came at the challenger level, but 16th by hold percentage, 5th by break percentage. Certainly, given the sample size of ATP results we've seen here in 2021, that doesn't feel too flukish, but those are your six players, and that does feel about right, and that sets the context again for a fantastic day of action in Barcelona. Quickly on the schwartzman Tiafo thing, because again, if you want to hear more on this match, go listen to David Gertler and my third Thursday Great Shot podcast episode, which is primarily challenger-focused, but starts with a nice tangent on this match. Look, Francis's ability to impose his physicality right now is just, it's clicking. It is clicking right now for the 23-year-old American who served for the match against Diego Schwartzman, up 6-3-5-4, came back from an early breakdown, and just had answers for Everything Schwartzman threw at him through the first hour, 15 minutes, hour, 35 minutes of this match. But, you know, again, Diego Schwartzman found his range as this match went on. Tiafo, it felt like, was read and reacting. He was responding to everything Schwartzman was doing, and it was a credit to Tiafo. He is one of the 10 players in the men's game who does have the physical skills, who does is a good enough mover on clay and can do enough when on the move uh, to be able to play clay court tennis at a high level on his back foot, but he was too frequently on his back foot, and his backhand is a rock. That backhand, as expected, is it a top 10 ATP tour backhand? No, but it's you know, you're not gonna it's it's as steady as any backhand you could want for a top fifty player, and he it's even better than that. His ability to go big down the line, big uh, you know, short angle cross court, incorporate the slice, hit the drop shot, his variety on that wing uh is what makes it that much more special. It is maybe a top twenty overall backhand on tour. Now that forehand on the clay courts, again, can absolutely be a weapon. And when he's landing the first serve, he's able to play plus one tennis with that forehand, go after it, go big down the line big inside out, big inside in when the moment calls for it as well. He had this match, but then Schwartzman found his range and hit a couple of ridiculous passing shots, one of them to help uh, break Tiafo in Tiafo's 5-4 service game in the second set. The other, what was it, 30-all in that 5-6 service game in the second set. Tiafo hits an overhead uh, sort of down the middle. Schwartzman hits this ridiculous forehand down the line passing shot. But Francis was right there, and you guys have heard me say the numbers enough. 
he has been that good on the clay courts of late a top 40 guy by clay court elo rating uh he's on the rise and he's only 23 and he has gotten better match in match out month in month out year in year out of his career he's got so long to go and it's a credit to Schwartzman, who's the ultimate competitor and there's a, a lot of respect between these two in the handshake at the end of the match but this was a really fun one bummed that tiafo couldn't get over the finish line <clears throat> excuse me but credit to Schwartzman, who just took it to him down the home stretch of that match speaking of taking it to him what a performance from Felix Ogier Aliasim. I was a little bit offended on FAA's behalf that there wasn't a bigger reaction from tennis Twitter following his 4-6-6-3-6 love win over fellow next-gen stud Lorenzo Musetti. And you look for FAA in this match, made 68% of his first serves, won 75% of his first serve points uh, in the match in general, run 49% of his return points, and was just constantly the aggressor in this victory over Musetti. He was consistently on his front foot, and when FA is landing the first serve, hitting the big first forehand, he's just in charge. His comfort moving forward, his hands at the net, his creativity. You know, I wish he had a little bit better touch. Sometimes he's just so powerful. You feel like he's lost half an hour, you know, a little, uh, maybe 12%. If he could trade 5% of his power for 5% more touch at the net, I think he would make that trade uh, because he's got plenty of power. He's he's got enough left over. I would say 5% left over. But, I mean, look. Lorenzo Musetti's court positioning, he likes to play 12 feet behind the baseline. He likes to incorporate the drop shots. He likes to challenge you to move forward so that he can hit a first passing shot low at your feet and then hit the second passing shot of the rally by you. But F.A. was too decisive, too assertive, and it was working for Musetti in the first set. He hit a couple of fantastic drop shots, ridiculous passing shots, and baited F.A. into moving forward when he probably shouldn't have and found the F.A.A. backhand deep in the court and when F.A. would leave a backhand short, which he still does too often if he wants to become the player he's capable of becoming. Um, But... And, you know, then F.A. Uh, Lorenzo Musetti would get hit the approach shot or he'd hit a drop shot, follow it in. His hands, his creativity, his speed on these clay courts, all exceptional. But Felix had him on his back foot for the majority of this match. And this gets back to power tennis works on clay courts. It was just so difficult for Musetti to do anything in this, uh, to do anything and make to make a point easy in this match. And it's a credit to Felix, again, who was able to find forehands almost at at will. Whenever he wanted to hit a forehand in the rally, he was able to either anticipate what Musetti was able to do well enough or just be aggressive to get his feet around that ball to hit that forehand to set up the rest of the point. And you look for FAA now. Look, I mean, on paper, 21-16 and in his last 52 weeks isn't great. Now, by context, made a final in Cologne, beat Bautista Gut, lost to Zverev, made the semifinals the next week, probably should have beaten Schwartzman, but lost that semifinal match in three sets, made the final in the warm-up event to the Australian Open, made the fourth round of the Australian Open. Everyone was flipping out when he lost his five-set fourth-round match to Aslan Karatsev. I think we can all agree that match has appreciated in value. And since then, look, I mean, his 2021 record, Felix ogier Aliasim, 11-6. and six. He's lost to Dan Evans, who made the semifinal last week, 
Aslan Karatsev, who is one of the six guys who's top 16 in hold and break percentage. Kei Nishikori, who's a quarter or some round of 16, whatever, hasn't lost yet in Barcelona. He lost to Tsitsipas in a three-set Acapulco quarterfinal. He lost 6-6 six and six to Isner in Miami, and he lost 6-1 and one to Christian Guerin, who's one of the 10 best clay court players in the world on clay. Now, for FA to be a Grand Slam champion, I will agree with anyone who says he needs to win those matches. But to anyone who's hopped off the FAA bandwagon, who's selling their stocks for him as a potential Grand slam champion sell that bad boy to me right now i'll say i'll dm you my venmo so you can send me that stock because i know the backhand can be left a little bit short and again he doesn't have the most natural feel but his power tennis just works when he's clicking when he is on his front foot he's gonna beat you because he's playing on his terms and his terms are that good I am still a big believer in faa i am so excited for his matchup tomorrow against shapovalov but yeah I'll take that stock from you happily. Uh, He's one of my six in the next gen, my six locks. Like, I will be so shocked if this decade does not include a Felix Ogier Aliasim run to a Grand Slam title. I think he's that good. You look at the challenger records, every record book at the top of it is either Djokovic, Nadal, Del Potro, Gasquet, FAA, or now Carlos Alcaraz. Those are probably the six best players before the age of 20 in ATP Challenger Tour history. That's a pretty elite list. Like, if worst-case scenario is Richard Gasquet, he's going to be set for life. I don't think that's what it's going to be, though. I think his ceiling is more along the lines. Like, a Delpo comparison's not horrible to me. I kind of like that comparison, actually, for him. Uh, I just think that power on its best day is going to beat a lot of people. And so great result for him to hit through such a physical challenge. And again, so much uh, variety in Lorenzo Musetti, who it's a loss. Like I don't feel, but Musetti's proven himself. He's a top 100, in my opinion, top 50 guy right now. But credit to FAA, who uh, looks fantastic in this victory. And now again, advances to take on Denis Shapovalov. That should be a very very fun match. Uh, you look at some of the other results again, kind of want to rapid fire through them. Does Rafael Nadal look vulnerable through his first three matches of the clay court season? Absolutely. Are you going to bet against Rafael Nadal come Roland Garros? Absolutely not. He didn't play his best today. His shot is sort of sitting a little bit right now in the court. He doesn't look as locked in physically as he's going to need to be come the French Open, but he got better and better throughout the course of his 3-6-2-6-4 win over Ilya Avashka. It was funny in the first set, he kind of was targeting the Avashka forehand, and it was weird to not see Nadal hit every backhand down the line in a clay court match, but, you know, again, Nadal's going to Nadal. He gets the three-set win. Stefano Tsitsipas was your player of the day. 0-2 over Hami Munar, considering how good Munar's been. Finalist in Marbella at the ATP level two weeks ago. And, you know, all of his success, five clay court challenger finals over the past 52 weeks. And he just didn't have a weapon or any way to hurt Stefano Tsitsipas. Six love, six two. That's ridiculous. Tsitsipas was on fire. Great win for Rublev, 6-4, 6-3 over Federico Gale. He didn't play his best tennis, and he looked to be struggling a little bit uh, physically, but the best players managed to find wins on those days. That's what he was able to do. Corino Busta continues to rock and roll, 4-0 win over Jordan Thompson. Uh, Quarantine Mute got testy between him and Dan Evans. There was a nice little exchange, excuse me, between the two of them at the end, something about disrespect, F-bombs being dropped on both sides. Gotta love it. And for Quarantine Mute, 
tricky lefty. Going to put a ton of balls in play. Going to make you work for Dan Evans. Certainly a frustrating loss given his result in Monte Carlo. But, you know, a lefty on clay, traditionally you probably expect Evans to lose that match in straight sets. That he played as much tennis as he did in Monte Carlo, came back probably should have won this match or certainly had opportunities to. Uh, That was just a fun affair. And, you know, again, a little spice. That's what we live for here at Cracked Rackets. Uh, Ramos Vinoles was a heavy favorite over number 17 seed, Adrian Manorino. So it's not an upset nor surprising that he won that match 4-4. and Big win for Alex Diemenauer. He ends a four-match losing streak here in 2021. Also ends a four-match skid on clay courts in general. 7-6-6-2 victory for him over the boob, Sasha Bublik. Uh, your last two results, very impressive from Kei Nishikori. A little disappointed that Christian Guerin, he probably should have won that first set, but man, Nishikori is starting to play some good ball, and you give him a little bit of extra time like these clay courts do, he can still hit through you. He's got those sort of weapons off of both wings. 7-6-4-6-6-1 win over Guerin to advance. That match could have deserved its own breakdown. I just, again, and, uh, you know, i got to save some things. I don't want to talk about Nishikori too much yet because I feel like I'm going to talk about him tomorrow as he's going to match up against Rafa. And then your last one, Zapata Morales. Six-love, four-all victory over Fabio Fondini, who gets defaulted from the match. I didn't see the incident. I apologize. I was trying to search for it, but I don't really care. Like, Fondini, I mean, I hate disrespect towards chair umpires. Let me be clear. It's unacceptable to disrespect the the umpire who's trying their best. You think the umpire wants to conflict to happen? You think the umpire is intentionally trying to make a wrong call ever? Like, no, that's never the case. I promise you. Uh, but mistakes happen, and like, you just can't overreact. And like, you get bageled in the first set, your emotions are going to run high. But that's no excuse to get defaulted from a professional level match. Still. Zapata Morales will take it. He advances now to the round of 16, which sets up again your round of 16 matches here in Barcelona. Your highlights of the day. Chapeau FAA Part 6. Chapeau's 3-2 overall. FAA 1-0 on clay. He also beat Shapovalov earlier this year at the Australian Open. Yeah, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm very, very excited for that match. Excited for Sinner RBA Part 3. Sinner's 2-0, and but both of those matches were three sets. Uh, both of them in 2021. Sinner got the wins in Dubai and Miami. It's just such a fun contrast with Sinner's, you know, RBA wants someone, wants to be moving around the court, absorbing pace, having opportunities to hit that on the run forehand, and Sinner's going to give it to him, but the last thing you want to do is give Sinner opportunities to rip away for two and a half hours. So that match promises to be delightful. Funny that Nadal's playing Nishikori. That's now the number three match on my list. But seriously, I'm going to be watching Shapovalov FAA first, then Sinner RBA, like by preference, I'm saying, and then Nadal Nishikori, who Nadal 11 and 2 overall, 5 and 0 on clay against Nishikori, has dropped just one set in their five clay court encounters. They haven't played since the 2019 French Open quarterfinals, which Nadal won in straight sets. I test wise. I mean, Nishikori's played two tough three-set matches now. I mean, you lean Nadal. The last thing you want is any sort of dead legs against Rafa, and it's still Rafael Nadal on a clay court, but if that forehand sits a little shorter, that serves able to be attacked. Look for Nishikori to be aggressive, end points early. 
I'm definitely excited to see that one. I'm excited for Demon Hour Tsitsipas as well because that's been a one-sided affair. Tsitsipas 6-1 overall against Demon Hour. 1-0 on clay. He's won the last five in a row as well. Tsitsipas is one, uh, excuse me, Demon Hour's one win came in 2017 in a grass court challenger. Certainly this a little bit different than that, but that should be... Just an exciting match, and Tsitsipas has played a lot of tennis, and eventually that adds up, but he's also a 22-year-old, and it's two out of three sets, so I'm just looking forward to seeing, can Demon Hour challenge him physically? Can he hurt Tsitsipas at all? Munar couldn't. will be interesting to see what Demon Hour can do. Sneaky upset alert, Ramos Vinolas Rublev. Rublev's going to be feeling it in his legs right now, and you don't want any sort of soreness, any sort of dead legs either against track meet superstar Albert Ramos Vinolas. In all Spanish battle in Zapata Morales versus Carreno Busta, you've also got Gofen Nori and Schwartzman Mute. So it, it, it's guaranteed to be a fun day of action in Barcelona. In terms of the action in Belgrade, only had four matches on the day. Only one of them goes three sets. I don't know what to make of Miomir Kesmenovic, the number eight seed, 6-3-3-6, victory over qualifier Arthur Rinderneck to advance to the quarterfinals. You look for Kesmenovic, 18-15 in his last 52 weeks. That includes a run to the title in Kitzbühel on clay back in uh, the start of uh, back in September excuse me the start of the restart of 2020 since then though he's only won two matches in a tournament on three separate occasions two prior to this in the 15 tournaments he's played uh, so he's only won two matches in three of his last 15, two or more matches in three of his last 15 tournaments. Uh, Kitzbühel, one example, he also did in the warm-up to the Australian Open before he lost to Sinner. He beat Caruso and Quan. He did it in Buenos Aires, beating Montiero and Laszlo Jure before losing to Diego Schwartzman. You look for Kasmanovic in his career in ATP-level clay court matches. For him, in terms of his hard court career, he, in overall, is 32-30 and 30 on hard courts, 10-8 and 8 on clay. And it's just like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you look overall in ATP-level matches, 48-42. and 42. His record against top 50 opponents, 12-29. and 29. His record against top 100 opponents, 36 and 39. So he's what, 24 and 10 against opponents ranked 50 to 100. And then, you know, as I mentioned, against opponents in the top 50, he's 12 and 29. Yeah. He is your litmus test. Those numbers, that's your litmus test right now to be a top 50 player. He's just a rock on both sides. And Puts a ton of returns in play. You look at the ATP stats leaderboard. Miamir Kesmenovic right now, I believe the number, uh, let's see, Zverev was what, 12th, 13, 14. So he's 15th by return percentage, 47th by hold percentage, uh, by break percentage, 47th by hold percentage amongst top 50 players. And that serve is very attackable. And if you've got the big weapon, you can play first strike, keep him on his back foot. But I think he's going to get better and better. And again, when you're a young player, and Miamir Kasmenovic is still only 21 years old, doesn't turn 22 to still August, 
you want your serve to be your weakness because that is the easiest thing statistically, anecdotally, just factually to improve as a young tennis player. He can do a lot of things, but he is very comfortable playing six, seven, eight feet behind the baseline, reacting to everything you're doing. Not a guy who's going to dictate a lot. He's a guy who's, again, going to be counterpunching. But that counterpunching makes him an awful tough out. And I just, you wait for him to develop that big weapon to make points easier for himself. But he's going to be in the top 50 for a very long time. May not have as high of a ceiling as the Tiafos and Opelkas and Fritzes of the world. But his floor is, might even be higher than some of those guys. So a three-set win for him over a very much informed Arthur Rinderneck. I love the way Rinderneck looked on the red clay. His weapons, his serve, they transcend surface as well. Now, again, he's a little bit limited in the things he can do. It's a very one style. He's going to try and drive through the court, but that drive works. And I thought this was a very fun match. Good result from a bit Matteo Berrettini. He just was locked in against Cecinato from start to finish. Four and three. The serve looked good. The backhand looked good. His movement on clay for a guy built the way he did. It's crazy for him to be that flexible. He looked great. I can't believe I didn't talk about Novak Djokovic yet, who just was locked in at the start of that Sun Wu-Kwan match and blinked a little bit, was up 5-2, uh, got broken by Kwan, 4-5-3, but then broke immediately back to close out the match, but just was playing a different sport than Sun Wu-Kwan. And Sun Wu-Kwan looked good, but Djokovic, home crowd, locked in. He wins the match. My biggest blunder of the day, thinking Nikola Milovic would beat Filip Krajinovic. Milovic has been great on the challenger circuit. Looking back, Krajinovic won like six, or made the finals or semifinals for like six straight challengers on clay in 2017. Has obviously played a, comp, a full slate of ATP-level matches since then. He just worked Miljevic, who didn't have a weapon to hurt him. Kranovic was just swinging away from the baseline. 6-1-6-1 victory for uh, Kranovic to advance to the quarterfinals. That sets up tomorrow's second half of the round of 16. Should be some fun battles. Karatsev taking on Bedene. Delbanis taking on Lajovic. Ale- uh, sorry, the Deuce. Alexi Popperin taking on qualifier Gianluca Magere, and then Taro Daniel, lucky loser into the round of 16. He's going to be taking on John Millman. So that's your action happening across the ATP and WTA Tour, and that's everything that happened on Wednesday in all of those events. Of course, again, we will be back here tomorrow to recap all of the action. I may even drag Jamie McDonald on the show so you guys don't have to hear my hour-long monologues anymore, but the length of these podcasts have been a testament to uh, the quality of tennis we've seen, too. Uh, the fact that we don't have a large sample size of clay court events over these past 12 months. And so any look at these players on clay to gain insight into the 2021 French Open, that's what we love to do here at Crack Rackets to try and keep all of you listeners up to date on everything that's happening in the tennis world so that you can be the most well-informed, best-educated fans in the business. Of course, if you've missed anything that's happened, whether it's at the college level, challenger level, ATP or WTA levels, you can catch up on anything on everything by checking out our website crackrackets.com you want to go like rate subscribe review not just this podcast but our great shout podcast cracked interviews podcast as well also of course if you need those immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at crack rackets you want to message me directly i'm at great shout pod shout out as always to our super producers max ligner and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at midwest sports go to midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 
with that in mind, for Super Producers Fligner and Westoff, for our friends at Midwest Sports, and for all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.